facade, I did ride my motorcycle. I had everybody ask me that and got on my bike and the bike said, it's about time. So, so I enjoyed it. Well, again, we are continuing through Romans. Uh, we, uh, and, I, and I talked to this the first service, Ben uh, and us will be on high speed, uh, zooming through Romans, and so we are going to cover the, the basics, the kind of the outline of it, uh, but what we want, we encourage you, when we're going through and we touch on something or God touches your heart on something while the message is going, jot it down and don't get lost in trying to keep up with the zooming machine going forward. Take that truth that he has his finger on you. Take that truth. Go back. Study the word yourself. Open it up and examine it. Talk with people. Reason with it. I believe God has something in mind for each of you, and it's not going to be the same. When I have studied through this, there's certain points that come out in my life because it's where I'm at. Uh, or it's where I'm going, and I find out later on it was where I was at. But for you, just to be able to hunker down when a truth gets revealed to you and be able to spend time there. I look back in my life, and I can probably count maybe four or five times where there, uh, in, in my Christian walk, which has been 48 years, I can maybe pick out four or five times that I was absolutely rocked to the core. And I can go back to those when things get shaky, that those are the things that hold me uh, to my course in life. And so I don't want you to race through those. There'll still be lots of nuggets and lots of truth you'll go through, and, and it's always encouraging to, to hear and fellowship with people that keep you believing and keep encouraging you. But there's going to be some things that rock you, and when they do, hold on to it. They will be your, your stable. They will be that which supports you. We had a verse that uh, Ben talked about. It will be talked about throughout the whole time we study because I believe it's the key verse of the whole book of Romans. And it's Romans uh, uh, 1, is it 16 and 17? It says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, and as it is written, but the righteous man shall live by faith. We are going to continually cover that, and we are going to really jump into it, and you will see that we're going to jump right into this gospel, uh, this, this gospel which is translated good news. And I do challenge you with something. In your, in your handout, you have a blue piece of paper. Uh, not right now, but I would like you this next week to look down there and write out your definition of gospel. What is, when you hear the gospel, what is that? Write it out in your own words. I don't want you to find out what we're thinking. I want you to write yours. I want it to be your gospel of what it is. And you'll begin to see that that gospel and, and the meaning of that is going to shape your life. And Hopefully, by the time we're done, we will have a pretty unified belief in this body of what that really means, because it will help hold you steady to your course of life. So just write it down, and if you're bold enough, you don't have to write your names on it, but if you're bold enough, put it in the little church back there where there's a little slot in it, just drop it in there so we can get an idea 
of what you're thinking, what gospel is to you, and that we can go ahead and begin to kind of collectively come like Philippians 2 and be of one mind, of, of a sound mind thinking the same thing. As we get going today, I, I have been, I didn't select it, I've been given <laughs> the passage of Romans chapter 2. Yes, the entire thing. And, uh, and the thing is, I think we need to understand something in order for you and me to really embrace, understand, cultivate, and let it activate in our life this gospel of good news. We have got to come bent to our knees, scraping and crawling to the ugliness of our flesh. The inability for you and me to live out this Christian light of just how distorted your flesh is. And we're not here to go ahead and put you in condemnation, but I truly believe that in people's lives that I have seen really walk on and lives that I look at and I say, wow, I like where their life is. I, I envy that place. These are people that came to a complete brokenness in their life of their own flesh and the ability of their flesh to be capable of anything. And I think we have to come there to really embrace this other side. Ben left off, and I'm going to read this from uh, a portion of Scripture. I want to read you what happens when men and women decide that they can be men and women without God. When they decide they're going to exchange the glory of an incorruptible God, and they're going to switch and take their own God and make it in the images of men and our own desires. And as they do that, what happens? I want you to listen to this pathway. Since they didn't bother to acknowledge God, God quit bothering them and let them run loose. Then all hell broke loose, rampant evil, grabbing, grasping, vicious backstabbing. They made life hell on earth with their envy, their wanted killing, their bickering, their cheating. Look at them, mean-spirited, venomous, fork-tongued, God-bashers, bullies, swaggers, suffering windbags. They keep inventing new ways of wrecking lives. They ditch their parents when they get in the way. They're stupid, they're slimy, they're cruel, they're cold-blooded. And it's not as if they don't know better. They know perfectly well that they're spitting in God's face and they don't care. Worse than that, they hand out prizes to those that do the same thing. You think, oh my goodness, how wicked were they? Let me give you a picture so you can see and, and uh, I can't see the future. God can. He has no time limit. But God created animals. And if you ever want to just be amazed sometimes, if you can ever stop and be quiet enough, watch a ge geographic uh, show on animals. Watch the incredible instinct of a bee or a salmon or birds. And sometimes you can marvel and you see, how do they, how do they know this? How do they know where to be at what time and how to go there? And, and the thing is, because God put inside an animal a thing called instinct so that animals would reflect God's glory because the instinct that's in them would drive them there. They, it causes them to do that and reflect his glory. But man and women did not get instinct put in us. That is for the animal. 
God reserved for you and me something different. I think something unbelievably greater. That in time, inside man and woman, God put his spirit, the Holy Spirit, the divine spirit of God to inhabit us so that man inhabited by God will therefore then reflect the glory of God and will live out the deeds of the flesh with love and joy and peace and patience and goodness and kindness and gentleness and righteousness and self-control. But when the spirit was not in man, when it left man at the fall, man was therefore without spirit and without instinct. The French Bible says it right when he calls man animal man. Man without the spirit and without instinct will self-destruct. And you see in a picture of it. We see a world of it. If you get around, you'll see this is where man is headed. And I know you can be like me at some times, and you can look at a distance and look at that and, and think, oh, not me, not me. And that's what we're going to look at today. We're going to look at this. And, and by the way, Ben talked about this being a member of the gospel, and the first chapter of uh, Romans says this is God's gospel. Now, just so you understand, this whole thing, the good news, the whole picture of gospel of good news is God's. He owns it, he lives in it, and he hands it out. However, Paul, in uh, chapter 2 and chapter 16 and three other places, two other places in the scripture, he calls it my gospel. And here's what I want you to think about today. I want you what, to do what Paul did. Paul knew this gospel came from God. He even went on in Galatians 1 and 2, and he says, hey, this is pretty darn radical, and I didn't get it from people. I got it from him. He gave it to me. It's his. So anything I'm saying, go talk to him about it. But he made it his gospel. He knew it belonged to him. He knew that everything in here was pointing to him. It wasn't pointing to somebody else. And we human beings, we, we love when, when all of a sudden the holiness of God starts to get nearer to us and the reflection of his holiness shows the junk in our lives, the first reaction we get is defensive. We like to point the finger and say, look at him. I'm not as bad as he is. And God is saying, I want you to make this your gospel. And so today uh, we have to get a little bad news in order to really understand the good news that's coming. And the bad news is extremely important. You cannot skip this. Matter of fact, it's funny, we were talking this week, it's funny, he spends a lot of one, chapter two and three, part of four, talking about this bad news. You and I are sunk. God says, I looked down upon the human race, there wasn't one, not one that understood nor did what was right. You're all stupid in my sight. That's actually in the Bible. And I don't know if you know what I know, I will raise my hand and be the first one to say, I admit it. Okay. I don't know that I've even come close to understanding the total meaning of that, but I do know the understanding that if I do not know what I was, where I was, and where I can possibly be, I will never understand this incredible love of God. And so today I want us to at least look at it now, we are moving towards the good news, that, that this is, we're not going to be ashamed of the good news, the gospel, but follow me. 
R.C. Sproul says, this is my cross, not a cross. There's only one victim in the story. We are all perpetrators. There was only one innocent, and I nailed him to the tree. I did it. I'm the one that crushed him, as Isaiah said. Each of us has turned and gone his own way. It isn't others. It isn't other sins. It's not their wrongs. And as long as I keep looking at other people, I will never have my eyes open to appreciate this gospel, this good news. There was a gathering a long time ago. I will not go into the names of some of the people. Well, I'll, I'll use three names. I'll leave the fourth one out. But there was a golfer coming up in the PGA Tour. And uh, the media kind of saw an opportunity. And so at that time, there were some real famous figures in uh, the country at that time. Uh, so he called a foursome for golf, or the, the media did. And this foursome got together and played a, a game of golf. And in the foursome was the President of the United States, Jack Nicklaus, this uh, PGA golfer coming up, and Billy Graham. And quite a heavy foursome. And, uh, and so they went out and they were enjoying the game of golf, but this, this uh, PGA coming up golfer just had a lousy game. And he would get angrier and angrier at the game. So the thing gets over, and everybody's kind of talking, and he rushes off, throws his clubs over here, and he's running off, and one of his friends said, uh, how was it? He goes, oh, he said, that Reverend Graham just, oh. And he said, oh, <laughs> did uh, Billy Graham kind of give it to you? He said, no. He said, well, what did he say? He said, he never said a word. <laughs> and he said, just the, the awareness and the holiness of this man brought out junk in his life. And if you'll see in the scriptures, sometimes just seeing the holiness of God and who God is and the beauty of God will start revealing as a mirror this unholiness in your flesh. A word doesn't have to be said. Do you notice that when you're around people like that? It just brings it out. And that's what we're looking at as we look in these portions of scriptures. It is important we look at this beauty of God, this holiness of God, because in doing so, we will start to see our flesh and the, and the potential of our flesh. Not just what it did, but what it can do. You see, your sins and my sins uh, are not just those past things. 2,000 years ago, Jesus saw every single one of them. He saw all the ones you're going to do tomorrow. And in doing so, he came in with a divine cover-up. Another comment here that I thought was uh, an, an, a neat quote, but it's, I don't know if it's neat, but it said, we really have a futility of debate. If we stand and think we can debate with God about some of this stuff, it is futile. He will reveal the secrets of our heart. Jesus himself warned his own generation that what they did in secret, it will be manifested. All skeletons in all closets will be revealed. That's why we need to be covered, and that's what redemption is all about. It's a divine cover-up. There's nothing we need more desperately than someone who will cover us when these secrets are made manifest. Everything's going to come to light. Everything. Now, God's beauty, God's holiness... 
as we're going to see in a little while as we read the scriptures, come in and step in there. But I think it's really, really important that we stop for a minute, pause for a minute, and let this gospel be my gospel to look at where am I and what I'm capable of. And in doing so, we'll realize all are guilty. And yet that goes on throughout all of the chapter 2. Greek, Jew. Religious, non-religious. Male, female. Rich, poor. Educated, uneducated. Whatever class you're in, it didn't matter. All are guilty. God has no favoritism. He says we all stand before the same thing, a holy God, and we all fall short. So none of those things will merit us by what we've done. And I think at that point we need to realize what God is doing. Now I want to tell you a story you're all familiar with. I, uh, it just touched me, and this is again one of those places in my life where I was impacted. And in being impacted, it just, it hushed me. I couldn't go on for a while. I, I meditated on this. But this is a story about a man named Peter, and you all know the story. But I would like you to do something, if you would. Normally, when we hear biblical stories or stories we've heard before, we kind of check off, we start daydreaming. I want you to do something with you, me. I want you to enter into the emotion of the story, because we're going to go into things that you may not have heard. I want you to go ahead and see if you can somehow not only relate but feel and begin to identify with this evening. This was a black, black night for Peter. And remember, Peter is a paradox. He's strong, he's courageous, he's mighty, he's uh, arrogant, he's proud, he's merciful, uh, and sometimes showing no mercy. We can go back and forth. Guess what? He reminds me of you and reminds me of me. And you remember the night that, that Jesus told him and he said, Peter, Satan has asked to give me permission or to give permission to, to sift you like wheat. And I've granted it to him. But you're, you're going to make it. And now, Peter, that just went right over his head, as you'll see later on. Because then he was at the table and said, one of you is going to deny me. And people started asking, is it me? Is it me? What did Peter say? In no way, on whatever, it's not me. I will never deny you. It may be you, 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 and you. What's wrong with you? I won't. As a matter of fact, right here, right now, let's go at it. I'll die for him right this minute. Let's go out and fight. I'll take the blade right now. I will never, ever do this. And you guys, he meant it with everything in his heart. He fully believed this would never happen. Never happen. But if you remember the story, he goes on and he denies him. Not only once, but three times. 
even denies him in the place where it says that people recognize he tried to make himself cover up that he didn't belong to him by his swearing and his cursing. But there are two types of swearing that he did. One was he was swearing vulgar words that he was cussing and swearing. But another one was he was, I swear to God I did not know him. I swear to the Father of heaven. He asked the Father to back his lie. Can you believe this? This man that would never die? The moment he vowed would never come, the deed he said others might do, but not he. The fall he'd expected of all of them became his. Here's the crushing of a man, and he'll never be the same again from that night on. He is panting. He's sobbing. He can't catch his breath. He's <coughs> crying so hard, he couldn't hardly breathe. Do you notice he's absent for three days? He doesn't even show up at the crucifixion. What's going on, possibly, in the mind of this man? What goes on sometimes in the mind of us, if we're really honest? Nobody will ever listen to me again. My life is over. My ministry is done. How could anybody ever have confidence in me again the rest of their life? I'm finished. I've denied the only friend I have. And I cannot rest any longer. This is where he was. And then something happened after the crucifixion. He went to the grave, and there was the resurrection. The resurrection, and in his mind, he was still thinking about what he had done. He saw, not only did this man have me walk on water, not only did this man uh, help me heal with people, all the things he did, and I denied the only man I knew. I ran out of my best friend. The little man inside was crushed. And then something happened. There was a meeting that took place face to face. We're told a little bit about the meeting. The meeting took place a lot longer than just a little bit we're told. They were there together. Jesus and Peter came together. Now, I want you to get the picture here. Peter is seeing him for the first time face to face after this betrayal, wondering, could I at least take the crumbs from the table or something? Jesus saw him deny him 2,000 years ago. Jesus saw him deny him when he told him, you're going to fall, you're going to deny me. And he said to Satan, he may have fell, but my love never wavered. He never loved Peter one bit less than before or after the fall. Nothing. Just talked to him about his love. Never brought up the fact that he fell. He already talked about him. He saw that, and he was going to take care of that. He saw it. The coolest thing that I got out of this that I want you to grasp is where we're going with this. If you'll notice in chapter 2 as we read this, in the midst of chapter 2, as we go through and look at this, it wasn't the wrath 
and the scariness and the revealing of the secrets that changes a man's heart. It says it was the love and kindness of God that leads to repentance. He came to know his own weakness, his own ability in the flesh, but more importantly, he came to know, I love this God. Remember how he came to know that God loved him and he found out for real, I love him. Do you love me, Peter? Three times. When you know how much he loves you, that will cast out perfect, it'll cast out all the fear in your life, but not only will you come to a place of knowing you're loved, you'll come to a place of the fact that you will love. And I can assure you this, if you read the, the books of Peter, 1 Peter, 2 Peter, and you begin to read it, squeezed in some of these chapters, you will hear him repeat these things. It's nothing for me to remind you of these things that I saw and I heard. He even goes on as far enough and says, it's nothing for, for me to have you remind me of these things. But Peter, never again, did he look at any of you or any of the people that he was around with judgment. No matter what they've done, no matter how hard they've fallen, no matter what they look like they did and betrayed, he says, I have been there and worse. And I understand the futility of man in his own self-effort trying to live this Christian life. It is impossible. I thought I could live it. I thought I could do it. I thought there were things I would do and you should be able to do. And when I came to the conclusion that this was one thing completely off the charts, I cannot do this and it's nothing for me to be reminded of this and it's nothing for me to remind you of this. And so therefore he said it will be the kindness of God that will lead to repentance. I'm going to read scripture here for you. I'm going to read as you listen here now, just it'll be up on the board. You can read along with me, uh, and we're going to read the majority of the Scripture. I'm going to read from the Message Bible. Uh, it's not a Bible that I study much because I think it's man just kind of giving you, in our language, some of the interpretation, not their interpretation of it. But sometimes they just do a great job of capturing you to make you be in the story. So why don't we listen as we look at Romans chapter 2. Those people, now remember, those people are the ones we just read in chapter 1 that were slime balls, okay? Those people are on a dark spiral downward. But if you think that leaves you on the high ground where you can point your finger at others, think again. Every time you criticize someone, you're condemning yourself. It takes one to know one. Judgmental criticism of others is a well-known way of escaping detection in your own crimes and misdemeanors. God isn't so easily diverted. He sees right through all that smoke screen and holds you to what you've done. You didn't think, did you, that just by pointing your finger at others that you'd distract God from seeing all of your misdoings and from coming down on you hard? Or did you think that because he's such a nice God, he'd let you off the hook? Better think that one over from the beginning. God's kind, but he is not soft. In kindness, he takes us firmly by the hand and leads us into a radical life change. You're not getting by with anything. Every refusal and avoidance of God adds fuel to the fire. The day is coming when it's going to blaze hot and high. God, fiery and righteous judgment. Make no mistake. In the end, you get what's coming to you. 
Real life for those who work on God's side, but to those who insist on getting their own way will take the path of least resistance, fire. If you go against the grain, you're going to get splinters. Regardless of which neighborhood you're from, or what your parents taught you, or what schools you attended. But if you embrace the way God does things, there's wonderful payoffs. Again, without regard to where you are, from how you were brought up, from being a Jew, won't give you an automatic stamp of approval. God pays no attention to what others say or what you think about you. He makes up his own mind. If you sin without knowing what you're doing, God takes that into account. But if you sin knowing full well what you're doing, that's a different story entirely. Merely hearing God's law is a waste of your time if you're not going to do what he commands. Doing, not hearing, is what makes the difference with God. When outsiders who have never heard of God's law follow it more or less by instinct, they confirm its truth by their obedience. They show that God's law is not something alien, imposed on us from without, but it's woven into the very fabric of our creation. There's something deep within them that echoes God's yes and no, right and wrong. Their response to God's yes and no will become public knowledge on the day God makes his final decision about every man and woman. The message from God that I proclaim through Jesus Christ takes into account all these differences. Now in closing, I want you to pay attention to where we're going to go from here. Some of the people that I know that have been through failures and have slipped and God has reconciled them back and they're walking in a place where Peter did where now they're walking in a place where they really don't care what people think anymore they care what God thinks and that is it and I've asked them and I said if you could say one thing what you've learned from your your failing or, or from the fall what would you say and the comment that they made was God is after my heart in there the scripture God said he's after your heart He's not looking on the outward appearance of the letter, but the inward spirit. He wants the heart, not what looks good on the outside, not by all the religious stuff we do. He's after your heart. And if you will give that to him by being honest with yourself and allow him to go ahead and bring you into a place of your total inability to live this Christian life, your total inability to save yourself, and your total inability to love other people, by I'll go ahead and surrender and say, I can't. I thought I could, and I never will be able to. That leads us into where we're going in the future of these messages. That leads us into the gospel. The gospel is great news. It is incredible news. But I think you have to hear it in light of knowing the bad news. Join me in prayer. Father, I know that you're working individually in each life here. And I know that uh, even, even as I was talking here today, that you touched me with something. And I pray that we'll be faithful to the things that you have brought to our heart. Father, we've all ran out on our best friend. And I thank you, though, that even in spite of that, you love us to the end. It is not our faith that saved us. It was your love and your faith and your grace that did so. Thank you. And we ask that in Jesus' name. Amen.